Hey, New City, it's great to be with you today on this, the second week of Advent. Uh, Last week, if you were with us, you saw that, that Nate reminded us, Pastor Nate reminded us that Advent isn't just a story that we tell, but Advent is a story that we live. If you missed last week's message, I encourage you to go and check it out. Pastor Nate did a great job uh, just bringing us this message of living hope. And so I encourage you to check that out. And today we're continuing our series as we talk about living peace. So I don't know what words come to mind for you to describe 2020. Uh, but I would venture to guess that probably on that list, it's missing the word peace. I mean, this hasn't been a very peaceful year. In fact, it's been really hard to find much peace in 2020. If you don't believe me, just think of a few quick examples. I mean, we've seen generations of racial tension explode in new ways this year. Because of, of generations of oppression and injustice, we've seen all of this rise to the surface and kind of just bubble over and just invade all of these areas of life and cry out for attention and, and the demand that we, that we intervene, that we do something, because this isn't the way it's supposed to be. And there's been all kinds of backlash with that and hatred and violence and division, and it's really hard to look into that, that mess and say, ah, this is the way it's supposed to be. Here's peace. And speaking about division, I don't know if you heard about this or not, but a few weeks ago there was apparently some kind of an election, and uh, it has not gone well. I mean, this has been the months leading up to it politically, and the weeks that have followed have just been an incredibly divisive time. But regardless of who you wanted to win and how differing our political views might be, I think that we can all agree that this is not the way it's supposed to be. All again, all of that hatred and violence and, and mistrust and just all of this division that's taking place, it's difficult to look at it and call it good or find in the midst of it peace. And then there's that 800-pound virus in the room, which quite frankly, I'm, I'm just, I'll be honest with you, I'm tired of talking about COVID. I'm tired of talking about COVID. I'm tired of hearing about COVID. And don't get me wrong, I don't mean to minimize it. I certainly don't want to minimize the lives that have been lost and the families that have been torn apart and that are mourning. But it's just, I'm so tired of this being the thing that's defined 2020. But whether we're tired of it or not, the truth is it has. It's turned our whole world upside down and it's, it's caused us to have to make these choices between terrible options time and time and time again. And this year, it's just been so clouded with all this anxiety and fear and unrest. And it's difficult to look at any of this and say, ah, this is the way it's supposed to be. Here's peace. So for me, this has been a tough year. This has been a hard year for me. It's been a hard year for my family. It's been a hard year for my friends and my neighbors. And I'm willing to bet that it's been a hard year for you and a difficult one for us to find peace. So in case I'm not alone in that, I want to do something a little bit different today, and it's going to be kind of weird and maybe a little strange, but hey, good news is you're at home, right, where you can be a little bit more weird and and feel safe being strange. So I hope that you'll participate in this, but what I want to do is I just want to open ourselves up to receive God's peace today. And the way that we're going to do this is I'm going to read through a series of scriptures, and similar to how if you read the Psalms, there's this word selah that tends to interrupt the Psalms over and over again. And we're not entirely sure what Selah means, but it's come to mean this time of pausing and resting and even reflecting on what's been said. So today as I read these passages, every now and then I'm not going to say Selah, but I'm going I'm to say rest. And I'm going to invite us to take a moment and just rest, just a few heartbeats, 
And in that time to take a deep breath in and just envision taking God's peace into you. And it may even help in your mind to say as you breathe, I breathe in God's peace. And again, this might not be something you usually do, so it might be strange, but I hope that you'll take a risk. And as I read these scriptures, don't feel like you have to follow along in your Bible. I'm skipping around a bunch. We'll have the words on the screen, but I also just give you permission to close your eyes. Don't fall asleep, but you can close your eyes and just listen as I read these words and let us tune our hearts to God's presence and the peace that that brings. Beginning in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. Rest. Breathe in God's peace. Come to me, all who labor and who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Rest. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Rest. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took, they took him with them in their boat, just as he was, and the other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking onto the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And Jesus awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Rest. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion. Herald of good news, lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem. Herald of good news, lift it up. Fear not, say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God, Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense is before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Rest. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Rest. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. 
Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Rest. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. One last time, rest and breathe in God's peace. Well, thank you for indulging me there. I hope that was helpful for you in some way. Uh, I know it was for me. You know, we never have to invite God's presence anywhere because God is always with us. God is always before us and behind us and around us and with us, and with God is God's presence. But sometimes we make this invitation because we need to tune our hearts to the presence that's already there. And so I hope throughout this week you'll find time to rest, find time to just rest in that living peace that we have, in God. Now we turn our attention back to our passage for today, the beginning of Mark's gospel where we're introduced to this really weird character of John the Baptist. You know, it's interesting that in the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, only two of the gospels reference anything about Jesus's birth. So all of the famous stories that we know that we celebrate around this time with Christmas Eve and Christmas, all of those come from Matthew and Luke. Neither Mark nor John mention anything about Jesus' birth, but all four Gospels talk to us about John the Baptist. And so we should ask ourselves, why? Why is this so important? Why is John the Baptist in all four Gospels? I think the first thing that we should see, certainly one of the biggest reasons that the Gospel writers include John's story, is that John helps to connect Jesus to the prophets and the promises of the past. We see this even in the way that, that John is dressed and the lifestyle he lives. It's reminiscent of the prophets of old. But Mark makes it even more clear for us, this connection, by quoting from Isaiah chapter 40, which was part of what we read during our invitation of peace. And he quotes from Isaiah 43, talking about John as a voice of the one who cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. This passage of hope was originally for the people of God at a time of hopelessness, the time of exile. And the voice of the one crying in the desert was to let the people know that God was about to do something new. God was going to do a new thing, and God was going to take the people out of exile and lead them triumphantly back to Jerusalem. He was even going to carry and gather up the vulnerable in his arms like a shepherd tending his flock. And so the voice in the wilderness cries out, prepare, because God is doing something new. John the Baptist, too, is in the wilderness, and here he cries, prepare, because God is about to do something new. John says that the kingdom of God is at hand, and we'll find out next week that this new thing that God is going to do, this newness, is embodied in the life and person of Jesus Christ. And so John serves as that bridge from the the new back to the old, and also joins with those other voices and becomes that voice crying in the wilderness, telling us of this new thing that God is going to do. But if we only see John the Baptist as that bridge between Jesus and the Old Testament, then I think we lose some of the richness 
and the wisdom that we can learn from John. And particularly as it relates to this week's message about living peace, I think that John can teach us two important things. The first thing that I think John shows us is that peace really begins with confession and with repentance. John, or excuse me, Mark 1.4 says, John appeared baptizing the wilderness and proclaiming the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That word repent, it means to turn around, to go a different way, to recognize I've been going this way, I should have been going this way, and so we turn and repent. And this is the beginning of peace. And it might seem strange to think of repentance as the beginning of peace, but it really kind of depends on how we view sin to begin with. Let me give you an example of what I mean. Mark Nelson and I, we, we teach a student ministry, and we've been, over the last few weeks, we finished the series now, but a few weeks ago, we were leading the teens through a series on the Ten Commandments. Now, I'll just give you a little uh, youth pastor insight, some inside information into the workings of the teenage mind. So I don't know if you are aware of this or not, but it turns out teenagers do not like rules. Teenagers do not like being told what they can and cannot do. And so anytime you're teaching on the Ten Commandments, there's this immediate roadblock that you have to deal with because it looks like the Ten Commandments are just this list of rules, the shall and shall not, and quite frankly, most of them are shall not. It's just this list of things we can't do, all of these limits that are put upon us, and that's hard for teenagers to grasp because, you know, they're not mature like us. They don't like being told what to do. So what you have to do is you have to, to see that there are a couple different ways that we can approach the Ten Commandments and the other rules and guidance that we see in the Scripture. Because we can see sin as all about the breaking of rules. And if that's how we view sin, then sin, it, also, it often becomes more this, the rules become this thing that we want to push up right to the edge of. We want to see how close we can get to the line without crossing it. We even want to look for ways that we can exploit loopholes so that maybe we can cross that line, but technically we didn't break the rules, right? And if that's what sin is, and this view of sin as being all about rules, then we're more likely to try to look for those loopholes and to exploit them and push those boundaries to see how much we can get away with. So when you, when you have this view with the teens, they'll start asking you all kinds of technicalities. So what technically is stealing, right? What technically is lying? Are all lies wrong? I mean, what if mom asks you if her hair is okay? You go through this whole list of things because we're trying to see how close can we get? Can we put our toes right up on the edge of that line? In this case, repentance then becomes about recognizing that we've been caught. That's really what it is. We're recognizing that we've been caught and we want to avoid the pain of punishment. So when sin is all about rule-breaking, repentance is all about pain avoidance, and we just want to make it all go away as quickly as possible, and then honestly, we want to get back to seeing how far we can push the line. But when we look at the Ten Commandments for what they are, not just a list of rules, but as a covenant, covenant is a relational term. And when we begin to see sin in light of not breaking rules, but in breaking relationship, then it becomes more about not how close can we get to the edge, but it becomes more about living in line with who God is rather than how much we can get away with. Repentance in this context, in the context of relationship, it seeks to restore and foster that relationship rather than simply avoid punishment. And so we see repentance is the key and confession is the first step towards repentance. 
Confession is when we take stock and we're honest with ourselves and we really, we take ownership of the pain that we have caused ourselves, the pain we've caused God, the pain we've caused others. But confession, again, isn't about beating ourselves up. Hear this, what Bruce Epperly says about confession. He says, confession is not about punishment or shame, but the recognition of our place in relationship with God and others. Do our words and actions, our thoughts and emotions bring us closer to God, or do they distance us from God's visions for our lives? Are we growing or contracting in our care for others? Are we open to change or closed to new possibility? Confession is not about penance, but about abundant life. And so peace begins with confession and repentance. And I think John shows us that. John comes proclaiming, prepare the way, but the way cannot be prepared if we have a lack of confession and repentance. We have to begin by recognizing, I'm going the wrong way. I have a need to turn and change direction. But I think that John can also teach us something about being peacemakers. We're called to be peacemakers. In Matthew chapter 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, in the list of Beatitudes, in in verse 9 of chapter 5, Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. As Christians, we are tasked with being peacemakers, but unfortunately, we often confuse peacemakers with peacekeepers. See, peacekeepers, they'll do whatever they can to avoid conflict at all costs. They just want to maintain the status quo. Peacekeepers, these are the the don't rock the boaters, right? These are the everything is finers. These are the, uh, let's not talk about that errs. These are the ones who are the put on a fake smile and, and pretend that everything is okay errs. If these people, if the peacemakers, if they had a family crest, it would be an ostrich with its head buried in the sand because they are willing to turn a blind eye to injustice and they will ignore just about whatever they have to in order to protect their false sense of peace. But this willful ignorance, it doesn't bring peace. What it does bring is apathy and callousness and eventually separation from all who are desperate and hurting in this world. See, peacemakers, on the other hand, they will wade through the friction. They will wade right right into the chaos and into the friction and the opposition to create peace. Peacemakers are called children of God because like their father, they're not content with false peace. Peacemakers look at the injustice and the brokenness and the pain and the ugliness in the world and they look it straight in the face and call it out for what it is. They cry out that this is not the way it's supposed to be and they will not be satisfied until it's made right. Peacemakers know that there is a big difference between peacemaking and being comfortable. And it's this idea of being comfortable that I think that John can teach us a lot. Because if you look at John's life and you look at his clothes and what he ate and where he chose to do ministry, none of it speaks to comfort. I mean, John isn't doing his ministry in the capital or in the big city or even in the towns. He's gone out to the outskirts. He's gone to the wilderness, to the wild places. 
the hard-to-live-in places where there's danger around every corner and life is constantly threatened, where things aren't easy. Not only that, but if you look at his diet, it's this weird diet of honey and locusts, but these are things that he would find wild. It's a simple diet, enough to sustain him, but not enough to entrap him in the, in the trappings of, of empire, those things where we get in this rat race and this keeping up with the Joneses, and we think that we need all of these things that we've convinced ourselves we need and allowed ourselves to be convinced we need. When at the end of the day, John keeps it simple. It's just these things that he can forage for just so he can sustain life, so that he can continue with his mission of proclaiming peace and repentance and preparation. John's clothes, too, they're simple, and it's not just that they're inexpensive, but this camel hair that he would wear, it was an intentional choice. It would be itchy and scratchy and an ever-present reminder that John is not to be comfortable. See, John isn't comfortable. He's not going to be comfortable until things are the way that they're supposed to be. And that's really what peace is, by the way. We often think of peace as the absence of conflict, but peace isn't just the absence of conflict. True peace is when things are the way that they ought to be. This is what the Bible calls shalom. It's a Hebrew word rich with meaning, but it doesn't it means peace, that's how we translate it, but it doesn't mean peace that comes from an absence of conflict. Shalom is the peace that comes from things being made right. And it's this peace, the shalom, that we are called to be a part of partnering with God and in bringing into this world around us. See, we're to be shalom makers, but in order to bring about shalom, we have to be willing to go to the places where shalom isn't. We have to be willing to go to the chaotic and dark and wild and marginal places where life isn't easy but is hard, where suffering is real, where threat lies around every corner and just over the horizon. We have to be willing to look at that pain and suffering and to suffer with those who are hurting. Only then can we go and, and speak this word of living peace and be shalom bringers who prepare the way for the ultimate shalom bringer to come and make things right. See, God is already at work making things right, right now. And God is constantly wooing us and inviting us and enticing us to participate in that right-making we are to be ones who join with John the Baptist in the wilderness and cry out this good news of repentance and forgiveness of sins and peace and the restoration of all things. See, each of us is called to prepare the way for God. We're called to prepare the way for God in our families, in our friendships, in our community, and in all of the broken and hurting places around us. We are shalom makers, way showers. We are the voices of the ones calling in the wilderness, and we join our voice in the spirit of John the Baptist and Jesus Christ himself. See, our preparation, it opens pathways for the ultimate shalom maker to bring healing and reconciliation and blessing that's what Jesus is. 
John speaks of the one who is greater than he who will come after him. The one who will baptize with the Spirit. The one who will make things right again. The kingdom of God is the kingdom of shalom. It's a peaceable kingdom where we see the lion laying down with the lamb, where we see our swords beat into plowshares, where the art of war is disregarded because no longer do we fight one another. It's the kingdom of God, the peaceable kingdom, the shalom kingdom is where the first are the last and the last are the first, where those power systems of abuse are inverted and suddenly the, level, the playing fields are leveled. This is why we see in our text from Isaiah that we read earlier that when God is coming and this way is prepared, the mountains are brought low and they fill in the valleys which are raised up and you're left with this even level plain. And God is leading us triumphantly through as his people, carrying us even against his chest as a nurturing father, as a nurturing shepherd. This is the image of peace that we have, and this is the image of peace that we are called to live out. See, we cannot simply hide our heads in the sand, but we have to look straight on into all of the brokenness and pain and suffering. And when we do that, we might be tempted to be overwhelmed, because quite frankly, it's overwhelming. This year has been overwhelming. There are so many places that we just look everywhere and we say, It's not supposed to be this way. But that's when we can hear Jesus' words and we can take heart. For in this world we will have tribulation, but we also have that, that reminder that the living peace of Jesus Christ has overcome this world. See, the living peace of Advent is not just for us, but it's to fill us to the point of overflowing so that we then have the strength to live that peace out. Where we would get weary and tired, we draw upon the strength of God to live that peace out for the sake of those who have not yet heard that peace is possible, who look around at their lives and can't imagine it being any other way. To them, we can say there is a different way, and not only is there a different way, but right now the shalom bringer is coming, and he is already making things new. He is already restoring things, and he will come in fullness one day, and he will finish that restoration, and ultimate shalom will reign, and things will be the way that they're supposed to be. So we have that living peace, and we, call, we are called to go and live out that peace, especially in those places where there is no peace. Each week at the end of our our teaching time, we we typically go through a series of responses. One of those responses is is a response to make a decision or a dedication. What this is, is maybe, maybe today you recognize, I have been going my way, and it turns out that's not the right way. And it's that time where we're honest with ourselves, we take stock and we confess and we turn and we go God's way. If you want to make that decision today, I encourage you to do so. And and if you do, I encourage you to let us know. You can let us know in the chat online or you can use the app, you can text us, you can message us, you can email us, whatever it is, reach out and let us know that you've made that decision because we would love to come alongside you and journey with you as you discover that living peace. Another movement we have is a movement of worshiping generosity. And if you'd like to give today, we have lots of different ways you can do it. The easiest is probably to give on the app. 
You can also give online. You can text to give. But we encourage you to worship with us in generosity. Our third response is communion. This is a time when we take the bread and and remember Christ's body broken for us and we take the cup and we remember God, we remember Jesus' blood shed for us. And if you're not prepared today, if you don't feel like you have the right bread or the right wine or the right juice, don't let that stop you. Just go and get anything. It It doesn't have to be anything special. It's not the elements that make it holy, but what makes this time holy is a recognition that when we break this bread, we're remembering the body of the shalom bringer that was broken for us. And when we take that cup, we remember the blood of Christ that was poured out so that we might have living peace. Peace with God, peace with one another, peace even with creation. So take communion. You can, you can do that now or you can take it here in a few moments during our worship time. And then we always close in prayer as well. And I'm going to do that in just a moment. I'll lead us in prayer. But before we do, I want, you to let, I want to let you know what's coming next. So as Analia mentioned in the announcements earlier today, each week of Advent, we're taking time to highlight one of our ministry partners. These are our partners who are on the front lines, who are out there and, and, and really embodying what it means to, to live hope and to live peace and to live joy and to live love in our city. And so today we're, we're going to hear from Lisa Fuller and, and the way that, that she is working with Shine Partnerships to, to seek shalom, to bring peace in our schools and to our children and families in the city. So I really encourage you. It's a powerful message. So after the prayer, stay tuned, watch that word, and then we'll continue on in worship. And then, of course, we'll have the kids' portion following that. Let us pray now. Father God, we thank you for the peace that you bring to us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for being the ultimate shalom bringer. Lord, you came preaching a message of love, even love of our enemies. And when that love demanded you to die at the hands of your enemies, you submitted, showing us that the peace that we have is costly, even though you've given it to us freely. Lord Jesus, I pray today that we would be open to receiving the peace that you have for us. God, may that peace overflow into our relationships. There are some relationships today where where we need to confess and we need to repent in order to restore and heal those relationships. God, give us the strength to do that. Give us the peace inside so that we can operate out of that peace to heal those relationships. God, there is a world that is broken and hurting. God, may we be found faithful as your salome bringers, as your way makers, to go out into those wild places of the world, into all that chaos and mess, and to proclaim hope, to proclaim peace and joy and love, a peace that takes seriously the pain and suffering and doesn't try to to hide from it, but tries instead to overcome it, and indeed does. Thank you, God, that we are not just waiting for you to make things right but that you are making things right right now. And that we're not just sitting around for you to do it right now even, but that we are called to partner with you in that effort. God, may we be found faithful in our partnership. 
And this week, Lord, I pray that you would just give us new strength, that you would renew our hearts, that those of us who are so tired and weary and beat down, that your peace would just flow into all the nooks and crannies of our life. And there we would find new strength, new energy to be reinvigorated for your mission. We pray all of these things, Lord, today in your name. Amen. My name is Lisa Fuller. I'm the executive director of a local nonprofit called Shine Partnership. So the way we look at, at peace, when I think of peace, um, and when Shine, when we define peace, we really love that rich biblical term of shalom. Sometimes I think when we think of peace, we think of this very spiritual feeling that we get. And when we look at the word shalom and we really unpack that word, we realize that it's, it's holistic. It's a holistic word. And, um, you know, Shine's purpose is to work with students and families in poverty. And what we've learned over time is that the opposite of poverty was wealth, right? But no, the actual opposite of poverty is shalom. It's that rich biblical peace, the peace with God, peace with yourself, peace with others, peace with a created order. Um, I think when you when you go into these sorts of ministry and um, and you've been working in churches in the way that things are, are typically done, you think, oh, we're going to bring God into this space. And you get there and you realize, oh, he's already there. And he's doing really cool stuff. And we just get to point it out. And we just get to join him in that. So I think the, the shalom for me was that moment when I realized this really isn't about the poverty of the families that, that we're serving. This is about my poverty that I didn't even know I had in certain places in my life. I think what it would look like for Shalom to enter um, the home of a child that's involved with Shine would be um, a sense of restoration, a sense of reconciliation, a sense that um, this family had access to the things that they needed in a way that provided dignity for that family. It's justice, it's mercy, it's all of those things that one day when he returns, that's our radical hope that he returns to restore that sense of shalom. I think shalom in any of our homes would be transformational.